Today on the show, I sit down with none other than Barnabas Piper. Yes, Barnabas Piper, the son of John Piper. And yes, I did not fail to ask him annoying questions about that, but it's in the bonus segment. So you're going to want to subscribe to our Patreon page um, and uh, get the bonus segment there and watch that. But uh, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, Barnabas. Barnabas uh, lives in the Nashville area and works in publishing. Uh, he also blogs and, and has a couple of podcasts that I'll leave a links to. I'll uh, leave you a link to his website and uh, the podcast as well as the, his books. Uh, he's uh, written The Pastor's Kid, uh, The Curious Christian, and then also the book that we are talking about today on the episode, which is called Help My Unbelief, which I got confused a couple of times and uh, called it Help Me Believe, which is uh, the name of this podcast in ministry. Uh, and ministry resource, but nonetheless, it was a great conversation. Uh, he's a witty guy. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun and um, learned a lot about faith and doubt and the relationship between those and faith and works. So I think you'll enjoy the episode, guys. Don't forget to subscribe if you're on the YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from. And again, if you want to watch the bonus segment, head on over to our Patreon page. You can follow follow the link in the description below and head on over there and become a supporter of the show. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episode. In today's modern scientific era, how could you possibly still believe in God? And and the resurrection, people do not rise from the dead. And don't even start to tell me that you think the Bible is God's word. If you've ever heard questions like these or if you've ever had doubts about your faith, this has helped me believe where each week we aim to answer a tough question about Christianity. Our aim is to strengthen the believer and answer the critic. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and uh, I'm excited for uh, another special uh, episode today, and it's special because I'm sitting down with um, Barnabas Piper, the author of Help My Unbelief, which is a, a great book that I've recently read through. And so, Barnabas, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for coming on. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, again, I appreciate you doing this, uh, taking the time to come on and talk about this book. Uh, it was a good book, uh, but uh, before we get into the book, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of what it is that you do for those who may not be familiar. Yeah, I um I live in the Nashville area with uh with my two daughters and a dog named Dolly who I had to lock out of the room for the podcast because she likes to interrupt. <laughs> not uh, the dog, not the children. Right. They're well behaved. Um, I work in publishing, working at uh, B and H Academic Publishers. I'm overseeing the marketing for that, and then also uh, marketing and product uh, product production for Word Search Bible software which is, you know, typical Bible software that seminarians or pastors would use in sermon preparation, research study. So that's my that's my official day job and where a lot of my time and energy goes. Um, I'm also the author of three books, including the one you mentioned, and I co-host two different podcasts myself. So one is called The Happy Rant with Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin, and that's sort of a humorous, satirical, tongue-in-cheek look at weird things about Christian culture, mostly. Um, yeah, I ran into that on the social media while I was <laughs> looking some things up. I, I like the concept of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's it's basically the three of us just riffing on stuff that we think is is kind of silly, but sort of from an all-in-the-family perspective, right. so not so much taking pot shots at the church as saying, look, fam, we're kind of ridiculous. Right, you got to be able to laugh at yourself type of thing. Right. You know? Exactly. Gotcha. And then uh, and then the other podcast is one that I just recently joined. It's been going for longer than I've been on it. It's called The Table of Malcontents, and it's all about um, 
it's all about reading and books. And so it's a, it, you know, it has a humorous bent to it as well, but also just, you know, book reviews, reading habits, answering Goodreads questions. I've, you know, I've only been on that one for a few episodes now. I do that with Aaron Armstrong and Dave Schrader, both of whom are in the book world as well. So, uh, that's, that's sort of what I do. Um, have been in publishing since about 2005. So the, the world of, of Christian books and authoring and conferences and stuff is sort of the, that's the current that I swim in right. for better and worse. Oh, very cool. Um, if you don't mind, would you share kind of your, your testimony, kind of how yeah. you came to faith in Christ or, or kind of what that journey looks like? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a pastor's home. My dad is John Piper, so from before I can remember, I was being taught scripture and mm -hmm. theology, and it's just, you know, the, again, just the context I grew up in was very just consistently biblical, which I'm very thankful for. Um, it did create some challenges as I got older, because I, I grew up, professed faith in Christ very young, six or seven years old. Um, was deeply involved in church and for the most part really enjoyed it. So it wasn't a, wasn't a, and yeah, what's the word? An antagonistic right. relationship. There you go. <laughs> um, but definitely some tensions within the church. That's actually what my first book is about. Um, it's called The Pastor's Kid, just yeah. about the navigating the tensions of being a pastor's kid, specifically in coming to your own faith and finding your own identity in Christ, which I struggled with a lot without even kind of realizing I was struggling. Um, cause I, I knew all of the answers, but I didn't, I didn't have a profound relationship with Jesus at that point. And that was true all the way up through probably up through college and into my early twenties. Um, so I, I, I was saved, but also there was a disparity between what my mind was filled up with and what my heart was filled up with at that point. Um, in, in terms of those things that shaped identity and direction and, um, and in my mid twenties hit a pretty significant crisis of faith where, um, my, my actions, my motives, my life did just did not stack up with my knowledge and my my outward testimony of things, and that meant that there were just some habitual sins in my life, issues with uh, issues with a number of things, specifically just misrepresenting myself to people because I didn't know who I was and I was very insecure, and it cost me a lot. The consequences for my actions, and God used that. So it was the loss of a job and just some real humiliating experiences. So. Um, I've heard it said that you can either learn to be humble or you will be humiliated. Right. Well, it was the latter for me. Yeah. Um, and But God used that pretty profoundly and bringing along some very wise uh, counselors and some really faithful friends who walked through that with me to to introduce me to Jesus in a in a new way and help me recognize that it was okay to not know things yeah. and it was okay to... It was okay to to be um, to have questions, and that was where a lot of the book "Help My Unbelief" came out of. Was the recognizing that being a faithful believer in Christ does not mean having all the answers about God or Scripture or anything sort of spiritual or cosmic or anything. Um, and then since that time, it's just been you know a decade and a half of plotting forward, growing, struggling, but but always with that that redefined identity as I am in Christ, which means that I don't need to know. He knows. I need to seek. I need to pursue. But he needs to know. Right. Yeah. Well, very, very uh, 
powerful testimony. Thanks for sharing. Uh, you mentioned uh, kind of uh, you kind of hinted at that this had uh, something to do with why you wanted to write help me uh, or help my unbelief. I'm going to mm -hmm. keep I'm going because the name of the podcast is help me believe i'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> i've been doing that a lot but you just, uh, you just sound like a leprechaun help me unbelief yeah help me <laughs> but uh uh <laughs> what was kind of your uh, intention your purpose uh, for writing the book yeah the i wanted to i wanted to kind of pull together two groups of christians who i saw both struggling with doubt in in completely opposite ways um, the, on the one side, there's the group of people who, who are just scared of all questions mm -hmm. that doubt is not okay. Questions right. are not okay. We eschew those, we judge those, we push those away. So we either build a false sense of security. Everything is sort of a veneer mm -hmm. because you never allow yourself to wade in the murky waters of, of hard parts of scripture or hard parts of life. Um, and I think in the American church, that is there's a there's a significant section or subset of people for whom that is a great problem which means that when they get punched in the face by a question and it and it is inevitable that yeah. it's going to happen they just they have no experience and no preparation in remaining faithful to Jesus when they don't know the answers yeah um the other group of people is kind of the exact opposite in that they love questions and eschew answers so they they love to not know. They love to they love to. It's it's the skeptic. It is the 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 postmodern. Also, like your truth is your truth and my mm. truth. Oh, is okay, my I got truth. you. So there's, yeah. there's not a there there's a refusal to sort of latch onto. No, there are some things about God that are believable yeah. and that must be believed. And and within that group, there's the people who say, but it, how can we how can we believe if we can't be sure? Right. You know, and and so the, the sort of the the hardcore skeptic crowd. And so I wanted to find the road between those two places that pulls the one side into the questions and pulls the other side into answers or at least into faith, because sometimes faith doesn't have hard answers. It just knows that the answers exist in God's hands somewhere. Um, and so that because that had been my you know, that had been my road was. I kind of teeter-tottered between skepticism, and I'm very close to some people who, who just refuse to believe in Christ because they can't they can't find a sure answer that they that the thing that they're looking for, and then a whole milieu of church that just hesitates or is is uh, refuses to engage in really difficult questions. And I was like, well, there there has to be there's. Christianity is attention. Yeah. If you look through Scripture, we are fed a whole bunch of mysteries. And a whole bunch of answers, but it's not all the answers, and it's not all neat and tidy. So right. there has to be some other way here. Yeah. So uh, something I actually was recently writing about, and it, you just made me think about it, was um, one evidence that the New Testament authors were were telling the truth is because they didn't hide some of these uh, tensions that you're talking about. You know, like Jesus saying he doesn't know the time or place or for the second coming or these. Yeah, it's for the these, Father to know. Yeah. Only yeah. the Father knows. So if you're making that up, it's like, well, that, that because immediately as you read that, you see some theological, you, you think there's some theological inconsistencies there, or that there's something contradiction. Like if Jesus is really God, then he should be omni omniscient, he should know. Um, and so there's, the fact that they didn't hide that, 
it's, it's it kind of lends a hand that they're telling the truth. So I kind is that kind of what you're talking about when you say tension things like yeah, that? Yeah, there's there's that, and then there's just the fact that the Bible says, especially in the Old Testament, but but in the New as well. But because the Old Testament is there's so much narrative, mm-hmm. there's so many stories, um, and there's so much there's so much uh, prophetic writing that. It, it simply declares a lot of things that God did, that God is doing, and that God will do, and does not say why. Right. The Old Testament does not give, you know, this will happen because God wants this. Right. Not, not neatly. And it says some things that are very hard to stomach. I mean, you go, you go read through, like, just go read Genesis through 2 Kings— and you're going to encounter a lot of stories that ought to make you very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so those should raise questions. And not not shake your fist at God questions, not questions that make you say, I refuse to believe this, but questions that I think God wants us to consider. And he wants us to have a faith in him that is bigger than the questions that says, I don't understand why God commanded that or why this prophecy says this or why the psalmist speaks in this way. But I know from all of the other parts of Scripture who the God is that it's talking about, and I will rest my faith in that. So there's a there there's a profound the Old Testament especially, but throughout Scripture demands faith in God's character and mm-hmm. God's being, even if we don't have clarity on God's purposes yeah. and God's reasons. Yeah, that's a good way of uh, saying it. Actually, yeah, I like that. So uh, one of the things. Uh, and I kind of figured this is what the book would be about before I even uh, opened it or read it, and uh, kind of what drew me to it. And then once I read it, I was like, yeah, this is kind of what I was looking for in the first place, was this definition of faith, because in at least uh, kind of apologetic circles I've noticed is when you get a skeptic and a, a Christian debating or, or dialoguing, often you'll see them talk past each other because they mm-hmm. don't they don't agree on the definition of faith. So I've actually uh, seen some really good uh, debates about what exactly faith is. And so um, that's why I thought this would be really helpful for my, my purposes at least because this is primarily apologetic um, ministry that I do here. But um, mm-hmm. so what, what, what exactly is faith if you were to define what, <laughs> what faith is? Man, that's a loaded question. I, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take, take the Sunday school uh, answer first on this one, at least use it as a jumping off point. And it is, it's, it's the verse from Hebrews where mm-hmm. it says faith is, so it's a strong starting point for defining faith. Yeah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, mm-hmm. um, which is not a satisfactory answer to the skeptic. Mm-hmm. Because that, if you think about that, you know, we, those of us who grew up in the church probably memorized that for vacation Bible school or for some Bible quiz show, or we want a sword drill with it. Like it's a familiar verse, but, but if you think about the words of it, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Yeah. Hope is, it does not mean assurance. Right. Hope means that we're not sure. Mm-hmm. It means we'd like something to happen. We are banking on something happen. I mean, so there's, there's, I'm a, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, and every year I hope they will win the Super Bowl, but I am not hopeful that they will win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I see. So, yeah. like, there, there's that kind of hope, but then there's also the kind of hope that we have in Christ, which is life right now is very hard, but my hope, that thing that drives me, gives me optimism, gives me motivation, is in a thing that I that I have 
certainty will happen. Right. So that is the conviction or the, 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 the assurance of things hoped for or the conviction of things not seen. And so faith by definition is a tension mm-hmm. and it, and it builds it. Faith is faith embraces the idea of doubt and says, yes, that exists within faith. Um, cause doubt, the way that I would define it is, is not necessarily, um, a negative thing. It's more like an innate thing to not knowing stuff. Doubt yeah. just means we we don't know. We're not sure. Yeah. Well, the definition of faith says, yeah, you're right. You don't know and you're not sure. But faith, especially faith granted by the Holy Spirit, is the assurance in the thing that you're not sure of. Mm-hmm. So I think faith, the more you, you kind of delve into that, the more you kind of realize it has to be miraculous or it will just go away. Because how can you be sure of something that you're not sure of without the Holy Spirit moving in the soul? Which is also part of the reason why I say debating with an atheist about faith can be so profoundly challenging because Mm -hmm. as a believer, a definition of faith is not going to be satisfactory when it includes something that they don't believe exists. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 it's almost like speaking a different language to define faith as a believer versus defining it as a dictionary. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, but the, but the problem I think many skeptics or atheists might have is that this idea that faith would faith is believing in something, either despite um, believing in something even though there's no evidence for that, or actually believing in something even though you know there's counter evidence. To mm-hmm. it is that do you think that's a a fair definition on on the behalf of the skeptic who would say that um it, i mean that that that's very close to bordering on the idea of just blind faith right so um, so is faith blind that may be one way of asking the question faith faith is faith faith has blind spots I'll okay. put it that way faith does not have clear sight lines yeah um, well, it's not blind spots. Sorry, blind spots sounds like almost like a character flaw. Faith, faith does not have clear sight lines to the things you are hoping in. So you, you cannot look straight ahead and say, "Oh, there's that thing," because because if you see it, then it's not faith. I mean, that that as believers, that's right. We should hold that because that's what the Bible says, you know. Um, but but it does see things. That indicate that what we believe in is true. So to say that there is not evidence that that's a separate debate, right? Because you know, if an, an atheist or a, a an agnostic, a skeptic of some kind, might not recognize the same things as evidence that we believe are evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not recognize the fruit in a believer's life. We would look at that and say that is evidence of God doing a thing, and they're going to look at that and go. That is evidence of a person trying to do good things. Yeah, you know those are not which which are not necessarily the same. So, um, I would agree. I agree with I agree with your statement in part. I guess that faith faith is does not have clear sight. It does not have clear sight lines to what it is based on, but it does see some things with clarity that indicate that the hope is real. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the tension between faith and doubt, or faith and skepticism, and really um, faith has another tension with—this is a weird way of thinking about it, but that's kind of an external tension between uh, the Christian uh, faith that a Christian might have versus skepticism, which kind of comes from the outside. And the, But then from the inside, there's actually what you just hinted at was faith and works, which is a whole other tension. Mm-hmm. So what is kind of—and the Bible talks about this— 
But what is the relationship between uh, faith and works? Yeah, so the the Bible says almost two exact opposite things on that in different contexts, because it says faith without works is dead, um, and then it basically says you can't have, what does it say? Uh, you can't have good works without faith, or mm-hmm. your faith is proven by your works. I mean, so it, it says that it says sort of two things looking at faith and works from opposite sides. Um, I think the relationship between faith and works is that... Um, you know, the scripture tells us we are created for good works that God has prepared before us. I think that's Ephesians two. Yes. Um, and, and so there, there is a, but, but the verses just before that are that we are saved by grace through faith, not of our, not on our own, not of our works. It is a gift from God that no man should boast. And so we were told we're not saved by good works but we are saved for good works. And so the faith that God gives us, because faith is not something that we gin up in ourselves. It's not something we flex or or work ourselves into, because again, that would just be another way of being saved by works. It's a gift, a miracle of the Holy Spirit in the soul to give birth to that. I think that's when Jesus talks about being born again. He's talking about being born as a new person with faith. Um, Then there is both a command and a an inclination and new a new nature that says good works must happen so as a new person in christ the evidence of our faith is good works but also the desire of our faith is good works so if you see somebody claiming to be a person of faith who has no obvious good works there is reason to be skeptical of their claim of faith um, because faith should bear out in good works, sometimes with gritted teeth, because yeah. there is a command, oftentimes with joy, and usually even the gritted teeth turns into joy at some point because yeah. we recognize this was the better path. Yeah. This was the thing that God wanted for me. This is where true happiness lies in obedience, in faithfulness. So I don't, I don't know if that's a clear answer, but I, that's... It's that I, tension. I, see, I see faith leading. Yeah, it is definitely a tension. Uh, the, grit um, the, the grit and the teeth is definitely a tension because it's like, yeah. like you said, sometimes, you know, it's uh, there's uh, just an obvious joy in uh, self-sacrificing and and and, uh, and and doing good works uh, from, a, yeah. from a pure motive. And then other times it's like, I got to do this because it's commanded. And then you're like, wait. Is that trying to earn my salvation, or or am I just doing it because you know what I mean? That's that tension. I mean, but I, yeah, and that's true. I also think I think if you if you take that in the context of a relationship, though. Yeah. So if you take it in the context of like obedience and will, the tension is very very it it it's a difficult one. If you take it in the context of relationship, it clears it up though. Because if you love somebody, could could be a significant other, could be a mother, could be a, a you know a friend, whoever. Like you you have. You just have a deep love for somebody. There is a thing that would be good for them, a thing that would honor them, that would bless them, that would help them, and you just don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. Are you trying to earn their love? Yeah. No. You are you are doing the right thing in the context of a relationship to show love, to show honor, if it's a parent, maybe to show obedience. And and you're not earning anything. Yeah. You're just doing the thing that the relate the, in the context of the relationship that that is 
that is best. Mm-hmm. And usually on the flip side of that, you're glad you did it, mm-hmm. you know, and not just in sort of a moral pat yourself on the back way, but like that, that made a, that made it for a better relationship. Yeah. And the same is true of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to doubt actually. Um, is doubt in the book, you kind of, uh, there was a subtitle and now I can't actually think about it. I don't have a hard copy. It's on my computer. But um, there was a one of the subtitles was doubt and unbelief, and so are mm-hmm. doubt and are you? Is there a difference between doubt and unbelief? I think there is. Okay. Um, I think people use them synonymously. Right. So I, I shouldn't say there's a hard and fast definition difference. I use them differently. Okay. Um. So, like I said earlier, I define doubt as as a lack of knowing, a lack of being sure of something. Yeah, it's kind of an intellectual um, thing. Yeah, and just. And just a human limitation thing. They're just, there are things we can't understand or we don't understand yet or we don't have the the mental capacity to understand, especially as it pertains to um, just the scope of who God is and how God works. He just functions outside of our capacity to understand so much. Unbelief, as I would define the terms, is is a choice. Um it's a choice not to believe that what God says about reality is true. So that can be a wholehearted, I refuse to believe that God exists, or it can be an, in, you know, I think every sin is tied to the sin of unbelief because we, in the moment we choose to sin, we are choosing to believe that some way is better than the way that God has said, you know, so we, we picked something over the way God has said. So we picked something that we think is best over what he thinks is best. That's unbelief. Um, so I think I think unbelief. I mean, and I even in the book I even define, I even use unbelief as an adjective for doubt. So I say unbelieving doubt, right, and then that's believing doubt. Yeah, that now, so that's probably what so, I was referring to a second ago. Yeah. So unbelieving doubt is a, it's an inclination not to believe God. Yeah. So forcing God to prove Himself refusing to recognize God just it's not a desire to know more of truth it's a desire to essentially be skeptical of God yeah a desire to say I'm not I'm not interested in submitting or being humble believing doubt is the opposite it says I don't know but I'm inclined to believe that that God does and I'm inclined to trust gotcha so um you kind of mentioned some of the limitations limitations of knowledge, and I think this is a good question: is what can what uh, what can we know about God? And perhaps the better question is, what can we not know about God? <laughs> I, if there were clear lines on that question, um, apologetics wouldn't really be needed, yeah. nor would <laughs> nor would much of theology, yeah. um, because so much of theology and apologetics are the exploration of. Yeah. Well, just more about God. What mm-hmm. can be? What evidence exists? What can we understand? What is? What does Scripture make clear? Uh, what is Scripture fuzzy on? Um, so, it, the very short answer is: we cannot know the majority of truth about God. Sure, that's what heaven is for. Yeah. It. It is. It. If. If that statement was not true, heaven would get boring at some point yeah. because we would tap out and be like, "Oh, I get it." Yeah. Whereas. As it stands, with God being infinite, those who who get to spend eternity with Him will get to spend eternity perpetually discovering things they had not known before and experiencing things they hadn't experienced before. 
Now, what we can know about God is what Scripture tells us. And even that, we get to mine the depths of for the entirety of our lives. I don't think anybody has has tapped it out yet in, you know, the couple thousand years we've had it. I think I've got it Um, all. I think I've got it all. Well, you're a better man than I (laughs) and everyone else. Good job. Um, So it's, but, but you know, there are things that Scripture declares definitively. Mm -hmm. There are things that Scripture declares historically. There are, there are, there's a, a path to salvation that Scripture lays out. And yes, there are debates about how to understand that. But anybody who is a true follower of Christ recognizes the basics. Mm. They recognize sin. They recognize need for a Savior. They recognize God sending Christ as rescue. And they recognize faithfulness to Christ and eternity with Christ. Mm-hmm. That, that Those are things that we can agree on no matter, no matter what theological nuance you put on it. And those are things we can know. Um, so... I think I think the challenge of that question is that when you start to get to the fringes of what we can know, it that's where we run into intellectual tensions and often spiritual tensions because we really want to know something because we feel like if we knew that we would be sure of God, our our faith would be bolstered, our doubts would be diminished. Right. Um, and in reality, if we discovered that, we would just probably run into something else we didn't know. That's yeah. the nature of infinity. Yeah. One last question uh, before we get to the bonus segment is: So you seem like probably you work out, and so in the, <laughs> just wanted I, to thought. That's, thanks. I mean, I don't get told that often, but uh, it's a nice pickup line. <laughs> so in the book, you, uh, you talk about belief being or a belief or faith being akin to getting fit, and mm-hmm. uh, so what? What? What is the relationship between? Because this is something I, I like physical exercise to go to the gym somewhat regularly i'm not trying to brag but um it's a good thing this is an audio medium where they'd know we were both just making stuff up right and left (laughs) eating sitting here eating doritos and drinking dr pepper yeah uh but i've often thought about this is uh there's there's something i don't know what it is maybe you've thought about it but there's some kind of connection and it's probably with the overarching theme is just discipline but there's some kind of connection between um getting into physical shape, getting fit, and uh, how that just kind of spills over into my spiritual life sometimes. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't struggle to wake up a little bit earlier to sit down and read the scriptures and stuff like that. And um, I don't know. So what's the relationship there? What was kind of, uh, what, what analogy do you see there? Yeah, I think, I think the, the ana- I mean, the, the parallels are, are numerous in that. So I, like you, I enjoy physical, I enjoy I enjoy the benefits of physical exercise. I actually hate exercise. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, there's there's it's a, a lot of similarities between that and spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I the cumulative effect of consistently putting myself in the way of God's word, um, learning how to pray more. And I say learning because I it feels like braggadocio to say like, oh, to pray more as right. if I, as if I do a good job, but just to continue to grow in communion with God in, in any way, the cumulative effect of that is wonderful. Kind of like eating healthy and exercising yeah. after a while, you just, you, you look in the mirror and you go, oh, that's, that's a, that's a better look than six months ago or a year ago or two years ago. And, and you feel better. And, you know, you get to the end of the day and you don't, you know, you're not, you don't feel like you got run over by a truck as often, things like that. But it's not enjoyable in the process, and the benefits are not quick. I think in spiritual life, 
well, I think humans are like this in general. We we just expect quick results. Right. You know, it's why everybody gets a gym a gym membership on yeah, January first. About to do it. Yeah, I got a month. Yep. Yep. A month from now, the gym's the, gonna be packed. The YMCA where I go will be packed, and I'll just keep going. And then come like February third, it'll be it'll be back to normal yeah. because people expected instantaneous results and forgot that. Working out hurts, yeah. and um, and then they're going to quit. And we do the same thing with spiritual life. So there's there's the there's the the incremental gains, the discomfort, the discomfort leading to growth. I mean, in physical fitness, the pain you put yourself through. And I'm not like a, I'm not like a grit your teeth like oh you know the hurt so good kind of thing. But yeah. like jogging a mile is not comfortable. No, sweating not awesome, and we smell bad. And and but that is. That is exactly what needs to happen for cardiovascular health and muscle growth and whatever else. Um, so I think I think those parallels are all there. And if we could just recognize that to get physically fit demands pain and time and commitment and consistency and a willingness to hurt and smell bad. And then you go, let's just lay that right over spiritual health and growth and faith. It's like a one-to-one correlation. Yeah. Uh, one last thing is that... Um, just as it's annoying when people post on social media consistently yeah. about their their fitness. <laughs> There's so regimen, many connections here. Yeah, it is. It is equally as annoying when people brag about spiritual growth. Yeah, just read in, my Bible. In a, in a, I know. Congratulations, your coffee cup Bible Instagram post was yeah. awesome again this morning, just yeah. like every other morning. Yeah. So um, one one big connection that I've always seen is because. Um, People may people will sometimes ask these sort of questions like, "How often do you do X or Y? You know, read the mm-hmm. scriptures or whatever." And then I'll tell them, "There's like, I wish I could get to a place like that." And I'm thinking, "I wish I could get to a place like this person over here." But anyway, um, but uh, a lot of it is, and again, it's just uh, so analogous with the gym. It's like you're not going to start. You may not start off like uh, really wanting to do it. But it's mm-hmm. kind of like I know that I should go run and lift weights or whatever for cardiovascular reasons, whatever, so I can lead a more active and healthy lifestyle. And I know that I should read the scriptures and pray more and evangelize more and things like that uh, to glorify God and all these things. And sometimes it's back to that grit in your teeth, which we're kind of uncomfortable saying for some reason. But you kind of just got to make yourself do it. And then after a while, it's like if I don't do that, yeah. I'm just not going to have a good day. When, and I think this, I would give the same piece of advice to somebody who has not been to the gym in years, you know, maybe they're just in poor health or they're, they're, they're struggling with their weight or whatever. And the person who is in the same spiritual condition. So they, they just, they never read their Bible. It's gathering dust on the shelf. They don't, they don't even remember how to pray. They feel guilty praying because going to God now feels like, you know, it just, they haven't talked to him in forever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the advice to both is the same, which is doing anything if you commit to do one thing three times a week, so read a chapter out of your Bible, you know, pray for three minutes, pray for three friends, pray for one aspect of your life. Just pick, pick a, 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 a just one thing mm-hmm. and start there. You, it will have positive effects. Just like for somebody who's never been to the gym, be like, go walk for 15 minutes or 10 minutes on a treadmill. Just, yeah. just walk. That you do that three times a week, four times a week. If you haven't done it in a long time, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you're going to start to see the effects, and then y- your 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 ability will grow as well as the payoff. 
because there is a reward to to the discipline and and I think there that that is just as true spiritually mm-hmm. um I mean I've had that conversation my, my oldest daughter is 13 and we have you know we talk a lot about scripture things like that she really wants to or she's expressed an interest in starting to to, to read and study the word more herself and she's like She's kind of like, I don't even really know where to start and different mm-hmm. things like that. And so just saying every morning you have breakfast, why don't you just read a chapter out of one of the gospels at breakfast yeah. and we can talk about it cause I'm around and whatever. And just, just those, those incremental steps to build habits and to put yourself in that way have, have profound effects. Yeah. Just, just do something and, yeah. and do it consistently and um, see where it goes. It's, it'll, it'll take off eventually. Well, Thanks so much. This was uh, really fun, and it was um, it was uh, really helpful. It was a good conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed being on with you. Hey, guys, don't go anywhere just yet. If you enjoyed the show, uh, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave us a, a review on the podcast and a rating. We'd appreciate that. And if you want to watch the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Barnabas Piper, head on over to our Patreon page. Follow the link in the description below or go to www.patreon.com dot com forward slash help me believe and listen to me ask Barnabas some annoying questions about being John Piper's son. Thanks so much for watching guys. We'll see you next time.